Welcome to Notes from the Field, presented by Canon Press and Noeo Science. For all your homeschool science needs, be sure to check out noeoscience.com. That's N-O-E-O science.com. N-O-E-O science.com. Gordon, good to see you. Good to see you, Will. Happy Thursday. Yes. And here we are again. Back in the saddle. Back in the saddle, talking about God's amazing living creatures, living mm-hmm. world. And, you know, kind of picked a, I, it, it almost seems to be a little bit of a trend after the last episode. We've got another kind of a slimy, slimy smaller creature mm-hmm. or group of creatures well, here. A, gr- a big group. A of big cre- group. Yeah. Yeah. So phylum, phylum. And, and I bet folks out there memorize this um, kingdom phylum class thing. Yeah. Yeah. King Philip cried out for good soup. I've heard King Philip came over for green stamps. (laughs) (laughs) I like that one better. Uh, For grape soda, maybe uh, I've heard that one. Yeah. All sorts of... So the phylum is one of the biggest taxonomic levels. Yeah. uh, Just under kingdom. And um, when I teach biology, you know, there's quite a few phyla. By the way, phyla is what? Plural. It, yeah, that's the plural form of phylum. Yeah, we've yeah. got we've got some use for our Latin. We we know we know that if you if you say phylums, we know that you're not a biologist <laughs> or or, or a Latin who doesn't right? know Latin. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a it's a phylum, and it's the phylum we're going to talk about is the worms. Yeah, the er, not just worms. Well, there's several phyla. There's at least worms. three worm yeah. phyla. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about anelida. Yeah, the annelids. Uh, the annelids. The segmented worms. worms. And what what are the major the three major groups of segmented worms? I guess you go below phylum. You're you're into class now. Yeah. So you got the. I know at least one of them. Yeah, well, my poly- favorite is the polychaetes. The polychaetes are amazing. Yeah. And that means what? Many bristles. Yeah, that's right. The many bristles. Many bristles. So they're the marine worms or bristle worms. And yeah. And you got the other class is the oligochaetes. Okay. And that- That's our friend. That's our friend. The, the humble earthworm. The humble earthworm. Is in, uh, we think of earthworms as just a thing, one thing, but there's many hundreds of earthworms uh, species. Yeah. I think there's over 200 species wow. of earthworms in the United States. Oh, wow. And we just say earthworm. Right. Uh, we just so, casually yeah. call, we lump them. Yeah, lump them. But they're, yeah, they're earthworms and they all sort of have the same general plan. Yep. Uh, but yeah, the polychaetes are great. And then the last class is the leeches. Okay. They're another group, another subcategory of the phylum. Analida. Yeah. And we can say annelids. The annelids, that's right. Yeah, an amazing group of creatures. And, you know, uh, it's it's one of the first dissections that a lot mm-hmm. of students do or yep. animal dissections. Maybe they'll do a flower dissection or something, but uh, they have this animal in front of them. And, and it takes a little bit of delicacy uh, yeah. here with yeah, an you, earthworm. You've got to use some fine motor skills and some good <laughs> scissors to cut open the worm and pin it open so you can see the internal organs. Yeah. And so, you know, when you're doing dissection, it's, I have sort of a love-hate. Yeah. Because the glories of, of living things are 
the complexity. Oh, yeah. But it's sometimes in order to see that complexity, you have to have the critter dead and laid out on a tray. Yeah. And so the beauty, some, I mean, in one sense, it's beautiful because you're seeing the architecture and, and complexity. But in another sense, it's ugly because, well, it's, it's dead and it's laid out on a dissection tray. You learn a lot. Yeah. But you know, you, uh, when I do dissections of anything, I tell my students, you hear at New St. Andrews College a lot about truth, beauty, and goodness. Well, today is just truth. <laughs> I just, like that. Just, that's just a truth. really good, no, that's a good way to just, start it. Uh, there's not a whole lot of beauty and goodness in a dissection, but you right. learn a lot. And, yeah. and the one thing we think of worms is just simple, you know, cylindrically you know, long tapered cylinders of tissue. And, yeah. But when you get into all of the systems, these things are incredibly complex. Yeah. And packed full. Oh, they're packed full of all sorts of digestive system, circulatory system, excretory system, reproductive system. And if we just, you know, we could spend the rest of the podcast just talking about one of those systems yeah. in, in the earthworm. And it's just, you know, great. T- tell me, tell me some of your favorite aspects, whether it's the, po- now the polychaetes are the really cool, elaborate, uh, segmented worms. Yeah. Well, tell me anything you well, one want. thing that I think is most fascinating about these groups, and so we're, we're doing kind of the biodiversity tour. It's the biodiversity tour time of the year for, for my general bio classes. And that, that's mostly, uh, I guess, the last third of the year, typically, where we just kind of tour as much as we can and, and learn, uh, uh, learn about a sampling of these different groups of animals in particular. Um, and so one thing that I like to instill is this appreciation for the principles of engineering design that mm-hmm. the Lord is put on display in his creatures. As naturalists, we should also be thinking a little bit as engineers because, because our God was an, is an engineer right. and he's engineered these creatures. And I love looking at body plans mm-hmm. and noting, whether it's in video or, or dissections or in photos, noting that as we, as we get more larger or uh, more multi-celled complex creatures, all creatures are complex necessarily, right, even right. single-celled bacteria. If we, once we get to creatures that are macroscopic, especially the animals, yeah. um, I ask them the question, okay, you have a two-person business and, you, and you're, you ha- you're grown so much, you need to hire 10 new employees. How are you going to adapt? What do you need to do about this increased complexity? Mm-hmm. And what I'm driving at is for them to say, we need more organization. We need division of labor. How do we get that in a creature? We get a different type of symmetry. Mm-hmm. And we get this bilateral symmetry, right. which is just a phenomenal, ingenious type of, of engineering principle. Right. You've got what is bilateral, and, and that is two-sided, where the two, you divide the creature down one plane, and you produce two mirror images. So we're bilateral. Yeah. A butterfly is bilateral. A worm is bilateral. And... uh just one plane divides it into two mirror images. And there's so many complicated body systems that we need a, a, a bilateral type of body plan to be able to house effectively an appropriate amount of space so the organism is still functional. Yeah. And it's also, 
gives the animal directionality, top, bottom, yeah. front, back. And you've got usually a lot of uh, sensory organs up front because that's the part of the organism, worm in this case, that meets the environment. That's what's going to be meeting the environment first is, yeah. is the front. And so there's a little more sensory organs up there. Now, the worm doesn't have this thing that looks like a head, right? but they do have sort of a, a head. It's the segment in front of the mouth. And what do they eat? Yeah, they just eat dirt. soil. They, eat they dirt. love dirt. Yeah. Just, and, they, it, and it passes right through them. And, yeah. there's, and, and there's all sorts of that organic stuff in the dirt. Yeah. Our soil, for those of you that- Our um, soil scientist buddy, who we might have on sometime, might not like yeah, that. that. I, I, I say <laughs> dirt in, in not a derogatory way. I think dirt is wonderful, <laughs> and I think dirt is complex, but a soil scientist would say, if you want to just elevate it, call it soil. <laughs> That's right. Um, As we're going to elevate the humble earthworm. Yeah. And humble, and hu I'm glad you started that way too, because- uh, one of the one of the words that maybe is the root, or maybe just another word that's like humble, is humus. Mm -hmm. And so the humus, or the organic matter in the soil, so close right. close to the ground, and even closer to the ground in the ground, right, is this earthworm. Uh, one of the things that I think is fascinating, and maybe maybe you have some thoughts here about the earthworm's abilities. First of all, you can go and uh, you can go and study them for yourself. They're in the backyard. You can find them easily, even in the winter, if there's sufficient leaf litter or a rock. Right. Uh, they're going to be under there and maybe even still a little lively. Yeah. If, if it's not too frozen yeah. and you can pull up the dead leaves, you might find an earthworm if it's not completely below, you know, way below freezing. Getting down below the frost line. Yeah. I love, uh, I read a research study a couple of years ago. I remember as a kid uh, when it rained, one of the more kind of gross but interesting things that occurred in in, in the city, in town was that Earthworms would be all the way up on the sidewalk in the gutters, flowing yeah. down with the water exactly. as it ran off. You see all these earthworms strewn all over the place when it has a heavy rain. Yeah. And I, and I assumed and spread the idea, which isn't totally false, that they were, they were all drowned. They were flooded out and they floated to the top because they were dead. And read in a research study maybe three or five years ago that... Um, while a big rainstorm definitely will kill an earthworm, earthworms are designed to stay in contact with very moist soil. And so what's happening, scientists are doing a little theorizing here. This, uh, it wasn't fully supported by evidence, though there was some evidence for this conclusion that oftentimes it's thought that they're migrating. Hmm. And so they come up to the surface when they hear all this, this calamity of the water filling the pores Maybe sometimes to escape drowning, if the water persisted more than a couple of days, they could drown, yeah. but also right, because they that, need to breathe through the air in the air spaces between soil particles. Right. That's what I was taught that they needed to get up on the surface because they needed to get their skin in contact with atmospheric air, right? And that they would drown in their burrows if they didn't get up. Is that? Yeah. No, that's my understanding too. I don't know how long that time period is that they right. can sustain being in water, but apparently at least long enough for some migration to be documented hmm. uh, by these researchers, right? which I thought was pretty interesting. One thing that, you know, the, the earthworm, we just sometimes think, okay, it's common. It's another one example that I would call the <laughs> magnificence of the mundane. It's, it's common, but that does not main, make it simple. When it's out after a heavy rain and you're hunker over one that's 
wiggling across the, the blacktop or the asphalt as it's come out of its burrows and watch it extend its body and then watch it shrink up. And anytime you see an animal move, you know it's got muscles. So much muscle in these creatures. And so in the body wall, you've got two, two um, sets, major sets of muscles. You've got these longitudinal muscles that run lengthwise through each segment. And when they contract, that cinches the worm up and makes it shorter and fatter. And then you've got another band of circular muscles, I believe on the outside. Um, I've got a zoology text here. The circular muscles contract and make the worm really skinny. Hmm. And it's a similar thing of our esophagus. We've got the circular muscles that squish the food down the esophagus, and then you've got longitudinal muscles that open up the- Oh, yeah. That's a great comparison. Uh, yeah. So you've got this peristaltic activity. So what does that mean? You said that um, earlier, peristaltic. Per peristalsis is where you have this wave of muscle contraction that widens. Well, like in the esophagus, you've got the longitudinal muscles running lengthwise. And when they contract, it opens up the internal cavity of the esophagus to let food down. And then uh, right behind the food, right above the food, you've got the circular muscles that contract and pinch, pinch the food and slide it down. Well, you got that same kind of muscle contraction going on in the earthworm, where the earthworm, if it wants to reach out and stretch its body, it has those smooth uh, circular muscles and it gets long and skinny and then it can anchor itself and then cinches its tail end forward. Yeah. And so they can keep on alternating these muscles. Oh, it's so fun to watch them um, move. Yeah. They're move remarkable. And it's, there's a lot of coordination. Also, when they're in their burrows. I don't know if you've ever picked up a big earthworm, but if you run your, if you hold it, I know they're slimy. But if you run your fingers down the earthworm, you'll feel what? You get a little friction. Yeah, a little friction. You're feeling see. their CT. Yeah, their CT, their bristles. Every creature has a, just so you know, and a lot of my students complain about this rightfully, but so many creatures with bristles and so many creatures with mm -hmm. dif different terms for bristles. Right. And the <laughs> CT is a common one. Insects, yeah. the bristles on insects are called CT. Okay. So... Those and it feels almost like five o'clock shadow on, yeah. on the uh, on the earthworm. The little bristles are just barely sticking out of the skin, and when they're in their burrows, they've got these protractor muscles, another set of muscles that push that bristle out, and that bristle sticks out of the body and anchors to the wall of the tunnel. And then, if they want to let go, they can do a retractor muscle and pull the bristle in. Be nice if you had a five o'clock shadow and you had retractor <laughs> muscles, then you could- Go into pull, a meeting, you don't you, have to yeah, shave. Yeah, you don't have to shave, you just pull those whiskers in. Or and just grow the beard, guys, just yeah, grow just the beard. Grow, grow the beard. <laughs> but, you know, just this, if you are if you ever see a robin trying to pull a worm out of its burrow, yeah. um, it's, it's, and it's having a rough time of it. Now, if it didn't have, if the worm didn't have bristles, the the robin could just bloop, pull the worm out with no trouble. Yeah. But because the worm doesn't want to go down the, 
the hatch <laughs> the gullet of a of a robin. It's hanging on for dear life, and it's got those protractor muscles and pushing all those bristles out, trying to get as much traction as possible yeah. on the tunnel wall. This is a and, this um, is a far side cartoon. I'm yeah, sure it's it's but it, and that's just the muscular system, you know. Amazing. Um, then there's you know all these other there's a circulatory system, excretory system. Uh, you can you can spend a, a good long time studying the anatomy and physiology of an earthworm. You really can, and and the best way to do it, or at least get a taste for it, you know. Well, I shouldn't say the best way to do it because I do agree. I do agree that it is it is um, an kind of a sad necessity, or or at least a less enjoyable necessity to have to to do dissections. I mm-hmm. and this is I'm kind of developing my own philosophy on dissections recently. I've determined to not purchase any preserved specimens, but to always get fresh specimens. And so I uh, did a demonstration uh, for my online classes of a, a fresh earthworm dissection and walked them through euthanizing it quickly and humanely uh, by putting it in some isopropyl and mm-hmm. then uh, quickly moving out of that back into water uh, so the isopropyl doesn't damage the tissue too, too much. Um, but that's something, that's something if you have a kid who's interested easy to do at home is to find a big earthworm and go to the bait shop and which oh, yeah. is even better because the earthworms are huge yeah at the, those night crawlers yeah and a dissecting tray and, and some scissors and pins and you can uh, really see some awesome stuff if you have uh if you're able to use your one of the the best uses for a smartphone is just the high power um and high quality camera mm-hmm. so zooming in with that smartphone and looking at you know, the aortic arches. Right. So earthworms don't have a true heart. They have a series of, of five or so aortic arches. Like our aorta is the biggest vessel. These aortic arches, they kind of wrap around the yes, huh? front end of the, yeah, the digestive system there and kind of serve a somewhat similar uh, mm-hmm. function to, to the heart. Yeah. 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 The, the earthworm, from an ecology standpoint, they're just super important for the super soil. Super important. Not only do they feed a lot of animals, moles, shrews, um, robins, but they do what to the soil? Yeah. They bring necessary gas exchange or air down into the soil. They'll aerate the soil for they us. They aerate. So they're like little miniature biological rototillers. Yeah. They're, they're eating the soil, turning it over, aerating the so we have these mechanical aerators, but earthworms do the same. The original aerator. The original aerator. They also nitrify the soil. Their excrement will add nitrogen to the soil. So there's a, a lot of wonderful ecological value to the yeah. earthworm. But, you know, rather than have the earthworm just dominate. Oh, uh, yeah, you're time, right. Is there, we got to move on to the polychaetes. We have to. The polychaetes, although earthworms, you know, I can sing their praises. <laughs> do you have a, so, do you have a particular polychaete? Oh, man, it's uh, hard. So, it really is hard yeah. to know. You have to, generally, you have to go to the ocean right. to see the polychaetes. High, 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 high number of marine polychaetes yes. in the mud. Now, often on the beach, you'll see these, uh, if you're digging in the sand, you'll often see these what look like long, skinny earthworms that burrow around in the sand on the beach. And those are a type of polychaete. Did you see any on your recent trip? No, I didn't. Okay. My recent trip to the ocean was just the 
just not a whole lot of intertidal. I mean, I saw barnacles. That was about it. And we saw some various shells. But, you know, usually when you're like in the summertime, when I'm checking out the tidal pools, we can find tube worms. Yeah. And tube worms are a type of polychaete that looks sort of boring because they'll either make a calcareous tube that's stuck to the rock, which is very rock-like, or they can make a parchment tube. Mm sort of a leathery tube. And, the, and that tube is usually kind of covered with gunk or algae, and it's not very pretty. It's not ornate at all. And it's stuck to the rock or whatever substrate is in the tidal pool. But then the worm is inside that tube. Now the worm constructs the tube, but the, what's amazing is when, it's, when, the high t- when the tide is in and the tube entrance is submerged, then it's, it's time often, to eat. It's time to eat. And what comes out of that hole, even though the tube looks boring, is a plume, a beautiful plume. And sometimes they're called uh lophophores, I believe you were gonna say maybe. Well I was thinking more of a common, you know, colloquial term, which are called feather duster worms. Oh, you're talking about feather duster specifically, yeah. Feather duster worms. Christmas tree worm is the one Christmas of those feather dusters. Worms. And so this big, beautiful plume yeah. comes out of the tube, and it's all their feeding tentacles. And I just think it's uh, incredible. I'm looking at one here in a zoology textbook, and it almost looks like a, a very symmetrical, ornate Christmas tree. Oh, just beautiful. Sometimes they're conical, sometimes they're more umbrella shaped, but these things are basically frilled out and then all sorts of organic particles in the water column, you know, float down and touch these tentacles and they um, then haul. They bring their haul haul, in. They bring the haul in. Yeah. It's it's incredible. So many intertidal creatures, so many aquatic creatures have this type of, of uh, this um, filter feeding is not quite the right word, but... uh, Grabbing these small particles. Suspen- to po- suspension it's feeders. Yeah. Suspension feeders. That's and what I'm so looking for. I'm looking at this diagram here of these things that look feathery that are sticking out of the tube and organic particles come down through the feathers and stick to the feathers. But these are living. They're, they belong to an organism. They belong to a living animal. And very minute, running down the center of these feather-like appendages are these little ciliated tracks. And so those particles of food that come out of the water land on those tracks, and those ciliated tracks will conveyor belt the food particles down down to the mouth. Amazing. And any, any inorganic stuff like mud or sand says, okay, this is not edible, and they toss it off. So they're basically sorting the goodies from the baddies as the the stuff falls out of the the water and That's then incredible. they bring it in bring it in and then they ingest it and digest it and assimilate it and then build more worm <laughs> more tube whatever uh they're doing and uh so worms, I love it. worms are great uh, yeah there's so many neat worms even the leeches are fabulous there's a place in town where we always go to find leeches when it's Whenever it's leech season for for students or whatever, uh, there's a reliable spot, and they're just 
and they're just fat and they're muscular. They're kind of like a aquatic slug. They don't show that same. I know we're not. We're off the annelid track right now. They're a little bit different. Well, they're um, an annel. They're, are they, the leeches? The leeches are an annelid. They are an annelid. Oh, okay. okay. They are in a class unto themselves. You got the polychaetes, and the earthworms are oligochaetes. Right. And then the leeches are in their another class okay. of annelids. And they're segmented, but they've got lots of segments, and those are sorry, primary segments yeah, and secondary that's right. segments. But yeah, the leeches have those two suckers, one on the front and one on the back. But not uh, the interesting thing, a lot of leeches get a bad rap because everybody thinks they're blood suckers. They're not. Some of the leeches earn an honest living. They, they uh, are predators. I mean, if you want to call that an honest living. Yeah, that's honest. Um, yeah. they, they go out and hunt and, and uh, with their anterior sucker, they pull in food and eat it and not just stick on some critter and suck their blood. Interesting. Like they did to me in yeah. the riot. Yeah, you go in the right spot, you're going to get them. Well, I, I, we did a big uh, canoe trip in southern Ontario years ago and, you know, it was a full week and portaging and w when you portage between lakes. You get up to the other, uh, you hop out and get back in the canoe and you look down and you need to pull the leeches off mm -hmm. before you yeah. keep going. Yeah. What a cool animal. I yeah. love that part of the film, actually. It's one of my favorite parts. Oh, really? I think I asked Nate what his favorite part was and it might have been that one. Huh. That part is just, that part's special because, and I was actually exhorting my students today regarding the same matter. You've got to get out in nature because what you'll learn over time is that the things that are uncomfortable actually give you a deeper appreciation mm -hmm. for God and his creatures. And yeah. so I was in exhorting them to go get stung by a jellyfish um, with That's, caution and wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> you need to get, before you, moon before you leave the planet, you need a, to get stung by a jellyfish, yes. not a box jellyfish. No, you're right. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you need to know what a sting feels like. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So what's your, uh, there's the feather duster worm. Yeah. Any other polychaetes you uh, There's like? one, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. And I'm sure once I, once I describe it, you'll know it. It's a type that uh, seems to favor old sunken ships. Um, and it, hmm. it tends to burrow into and favor a wood. Oh, um, those are... They're called shipworms. Shipworms, yeah. But, Are but they a different not, group? They're a different group. Okay. But they're very, they're very worm-like. Yeah. But they're actually bivalves. Those are bivalves. Oh, that's right. They are That's mollusks. right. That's Weird. right. And, and, and you see a lot of anatomical characteristics that are shared between some of these groups. Mm -hmm. The one I yeah. was thinking of when you mentioned, when you're talking about this um, feather dusters, I automatically was thinking about barnacles, mm -hmm. just because which are also and, and, a bive, uh, which yeah. are a mollusk. They're a suspension. They, um, they, yeah, they, um, they, their tentacles go out and they grab at anything they can get when the water's above them. Right. Yeah. So you, if you ever look close at barnacle when the water is over them, you'll see their cirripeds, cirripeds sweep out of their little barnacle house. And sweep the water. Yeah. And they're sweeping for little organic particles that they can munch down once they sweep it in. It's like casting a fishnet, except they're, they're fishing for some, but that's a, that's a barnacle. But, yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of, my, one of my other f uh, favorite polychaetes is the, uh, the clam worm. And there are these voracious hunters that are in mud flats 
sand flats, and they often hang out under rocks mm. and they look for they look for um small invertebrates and they um have this amazing predatory pharynx huh now they look like a cross between an earthworm and a centipede they can be over a foot long wow and they crawl around, but instead of having that exoskeleton like an arthrop like a centipede, they're soft and squishy like a worm. But they've got these little flappy things off to the sides called parapodia with little bristles off the tips of the parapodia. And they scoot along in shallow water looking for small hapless invertebrates. Mm. And then when they find something, this big in their mouth, you think, okay, their mouth doesn't look like much, it's a little hole. Then all of a sudden, this thing that comes out looks like a jack-in-the-box. It pops out <laughs> of their mouth, and it's this everted pharynx. Mm. Just, it comes out. And it's got these two uh, jaws, uh, these, like, sharp, sharp, sickle-like Like some kind of jaws, beetle. Basically. Yeah, they're they're called jaws, and they're mounted on the top of their pharynx, and they come out and grab whatever creature they they find, and then haul it in, and pinch it, and haul it in. Literally a jack in the box throat. Wow! Um, so we've got we've got true predators in this group. We've yeah. got scavengers and scavengers of sorts. Deposit feeders like earthworms and lugworms. Yeah, and then you've got suspension feeders. It's great. Well, we've. We've even used up our time talking about worms. <laughs> Good. I know. And, we need a and part we, two. Just, and we have scratched, just scratched the surface. Uh, that's right. There are many, many worms. And this is just one phylum of worms. The, and, uh, the, the annelids. annelids. The polychaetes, that means many bristles. Oligochaetes, which is the earthworms. Right. And that means few bristles. I mean, they're not, I mean, they're shorter bristles too, but fewer than the polychaetes. Yeah. Oligo means few. So oligochaetes and then the leeches don't have any bristles. Like an oligarchy. Yeah. 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 And so, and so what was that? There was one other, one other major group, was there? And the, the leeches. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which is yeah. the Herodinia. Herodinia. And um, that's also an annelid. So that's just a quick hop, skip, and jump. I like it. Through um, one phylum of worms, there's a couple other major phyla of uh, worms. Yep. Uh, and then there's some weird, weird other phyla of worms that are less known. But well, that's, that's a sampling of, of God's creation. What's the, how many species ish do you know for annelids? Oh, man. Sorry. Uh, no, it's okay because that number keeps this, this textbook is quite Probably old. outdated. Yeah. It's um, not ancient. But well, one thing we like to this, do in biology, we like. We like talking about how successful a group is. And when yeah, we say it's well, successful, we usually this mean... Is, this textbook is 96, 1996. Okay. Yeah. And at the time of this textbook, there was about 15,000 species okay. of annelids. Of annelids. And that's not just... And that's all the, all the annelids. Right. Polychaetes, oligochaetes, and leeches. That's a fairly successful phylum. That's a phylum. fairly good-sized phylum. It's not like... It's not like Some of the other ones, but yeah, uh, yeah, of the it's it's one of the big nine phyla, and uh, and again we've just touched the surface. There's a lot of uh, diversity in that group with a lot of weird 
weird reproduction and, you know, earthworms are. Oh, so I mean, weird. Take me. You need a diagram. Yep. We can't just verbally tell you about the reproduction of an earthworm. No. It's just too you complicated. You can't talk about it over tea. No. Yeah. Right. You have to be careful about your audience. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> we're not going to talk about earthworm, uh, <laughs> birds and the bees. Gordon, thanks. Thanks a lot. See you, Will. See you next time. All right. Bye. Bye.